I'm going to ask you a question. If the answer is yes, if it's true for you, um, just just raise your hand. Uh, So the question is, um, who here wishes that they were a perfect Christian? Next question. Who here, and you you can say yes to this, who here honestly can say that they are a perfect Christian? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> you see, like, it's so frustrating because we are Christians. We say that we're Christians. And we can't ever seem to get it all right all the time. And this is frustrating because what all, all we want in the world is to succeed at whatever it is that we do, right? I mean, no one goes into any situation thinking to themselves... Man, I hope I fail at this. Or even like, hey, I hope that I'm just okay. I hope that I'm just mediocre and I never get any better than mediocre. We have uh, the desire to be the best, to be the greatest, the most successful, to perfectly execute whatever job, task, or whatever it is that we're up against. And the driving desire to be great motivates us. And honestly, we hope that it motivates those around us, especially those that we work with, right? We hope that the players on our favorite sports team have the desire to be the best at their particular position. And we hope that the coaches and the managers of the team have that same desire and that they desire that from their players. We hope that the ownership of the team has this desire as well. Now, depending on who your team is, how they did last season, you may or may not be thinking that this is a reality in their lives, but we we can talk about that later. Um, Regardless of whatever it is that we desire to become perfect or the best at, there's always some underlying set of things that qualifies us to even start pursuing greatness at it in the first place. Maybe it's a natural talent or affinity that gives us the in, that qualifies us to strive for excellence in that particular sport or occupation or field of study. And as Christians, we have this same thing. We have a qualifying attribute that's found in God's grace in our lives. You know, as we've talked about in the past few weeks God's grace is active in our lives. It goes before us, preparing us for the gospel before we even know it. It fosters and nurtures a deep-seated desire in us to know God and to be in fellowship with him. It works through people, organizations, and sometimes even other religions to allow us to recognize Christ and his gospel at the moment that God has prepared for us to accept it. Then we're further qualified at that moment when we go from lost to found, when Christ gets a hold of our hearts and we come home to our Father. It's at this moment that God's grace begins to work in our hearts, changing us, converting us, rescuing us, making us one with God and one with one another. However, that's just the opening chapter to the story. It's not the end. It's not where we're meant 
to stop reading. It's not where we're meant to stop living. And therefore, we're all, as Christians, left with the same charge. To continue on, allowing God's grace to work both before us still and within us again. In a continual journey towards something else. Something more. It's no longer a quest to be good enough to get to heaven because Christ has already done that for us. It's a quest to live into the fullness of life that God has planned for us. A life that fulfills his purpose in the world. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus spends some 31 verses explaining and expounding upon certain areas of the Jewish law that had, over time, become misconstrued and misunderstood. He says things like this, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that... Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he continues on. He covers divorce. He covers the swearing of oaths. And he dispels the eye-for-an-eye myth regarding retaliation. But finally, Jesus gets to a concluding section of his discourse on the law in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And he says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. No big deal. (laughs) Amen. See, it's simple enough to to read all this stuff that Jesus says and and then get to this one sentence and just move on with your life, especially when you read it and you're like, that level of perfection that Jesus is telling us to become is that of God's perfection. And I know that it's not going to happen, right? So if you're like me, you read that and you have a little internal dialogue that goes a little something like this. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, what could he possibly mean by this? He must be using some sort of figurative language. Maybe a rhetorical device. He can't actually mean that. It's impossible. You know what I'll do? I'm just going to focus on doing better at something more realistic. Or perhaps you're not like me and you're a bit more high achieving and your internal dialogue says, man, Oh, I 
I've got some work to do, but I can do this. I will just be better. I'm going to look at everything that I do wrong, and I'm never going to do that again. And when I do, I'm going to get super mad at myself and show God that I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> well, either way, let's, let's settle it right now. If you're, if you're like me and you skip over this because it's impossible, you're wrong. If you think you can actually achieve this through acting properly, you're also wrong. Encouraging, right? (laughs) I know that that sounds discouraging, but I promise that there is something in here, some very important truth that we can get at and that we can actually live out. You see, if we just float on past this, if if you're like me and we're just like, yep, impossible, and on to the next thing, then you're missing out on literally the entire point of Jesus' teaching about the law. And if you're not like me, and you get hung up on this, you become legalistic, thinking that you can achieve perfection through your own outward actions, then you're making also the same mistake. See, Jesus' discussion of the law all the way up to and including this was done in order to connect two things that we all have is meant to connect our heart with our hands. He says, yes, murder is most certainly wrong. But you know what else is wrong? Being angry with your brothers and sisters, even if you never say a word. Yes, the act of adultery is wrong. But you know what else is wrong? Even looking lustfully at someone who's not your spouse, even if it's just looking even if you never act on it. What he's saying is your heart and your hands are connected. God sees them as one and the same. And that's a very scary thought, as if perfection didn't already seem so far away. Now what happens between our ears is subject to becoming the criteria by which our perfection is judged. But this is also really good news. It basically levels the playing field. It gives us the ability to realize that no matter how hard we try, we're never going to get the hands and the heart to cooperate perfectly on our own. And the good news in that is that we aren't in this on our own. We have to remember who goes before us and who's at work within us. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has made us his children. And parents, you know this, no matter how much you wish you could, you can't just give your child a book on how to live life, send them to hang out with other children whose parents gave them the same book for an hour or so every week, and then expect them to behave properly without you guiding and yelling and pushing them in the right direction every other hour of every other day of the week. And it's the same for us as Christians. I mean, we have a book that tells us how to live a happy life, and we go and we hang out with other people for an hour or so every week who hopefully have the same book. But it doesn't make us any better at living this thing out without God guiding us in every other hour of every other day of every other week. So let's go back to this call to perfection. I mean, this is important. This is Christ's command to us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect. 
This is the law of Christ. The summary of his teaching on the law. But what does it actually mean? The Greek word here that is translated as perfect is teleos. And for our modern ears and our modern understanding, what it really better translates to is to mean complete, whole, lacking nothing, mature. And I believe that in this context, it is best to understand this statement, Christ's law, to say, be whole, as your Father in heaven is whole. See, when we talk about God, especially in relation to his character, we see that he is in fact whole. He does not contradict himself. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, work in perfect accord with one another to bring about the same end goal, the salvation of human hearts, the rescuing of you and me and everyone else, and the bringing of the kingdom of heaven on earth. You see, God is unchanging in his steadfast love for mankind. He acts in accordance with how he thinks and how he feels about us. And how he thinks and feels about us is an unconditional, loving, fatherly way. And his actions towards us when he welcomes us home, regardless of what we've done, who we've been, or even the nasty things that we've said to and about him, all that testifies to the fact that he is, in fact, whole. His heart and his hands work together perfectly. He's the same on the inside and on the outside. And this is how he desires for us to live. He desires for us to be whole. He desires for us to love with our hearts and love with our hands. He desires for us not to be in conflict with ourselves. He desires for us not to live in a state of constant discord. He desires for us to think and act in a way that is real and loving and faithful to his realness and love for all of humanity. But here's the thing, like, no matter how hard we try, this is beyond our human capacity. Yes, some of us are more naturally inclined to feelings of love, to being empathetic, to have goodwill than others. But even the most loving and empathetic of us all will fall short of complete wholeness all the time. But God is not calling for us to achieve this all on our own. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's calling on us to do all of this through him. You see, part of being whole as a human, part of being perfect is being in full cooperation with the Spirit. Being in full cooperation with our direct connection to God. In Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he discusses God's work within us as believers. In chapter 5, 22 through 26, he says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, patience, 
Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. These gifts, these fruits of the Spirit, they're qualities and attributes that God himself is the author and perfecter of. By his grace, he gives these to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, working inside of us on a daily basis. They're not manufactured in us by our own power. They are manifestations of our personal relationship with Christ and our fellowship and relationship with one another. I don't know about you, but as I live and experience this world, I've come to the realization that it could use a bit more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and certainly self-control. At every turn, there seems to be just the direct contradiction of this. And probably the most painful is when we walk in the church doors and see it. When we experience people who are so-called Christians not living in accord with these attributes. In this world, we seem to be surrounded by conceit, provocation, and envy. And honestly, it's, it's heartbreaking. But between these fruits of the Spirit, what we should be and what we're not to be, Paul sandwiches the means by which we're supposed to achieve this. It says, belonging to Christ, by being saved, we have crucified the flesh and its selfishness. And from there, we are meant to live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. We are meant to continue on living and renewing ourselves through prayer, through fellowship, through worship, and through studying Scripture, you know, through basic spiritual disciplines. You know, these attributes, these fruits of the Spirit are what are to comprise our Christian heart. God has called us to be perfect, to be whole, and this is where it all begins. It's the inside job that we're called to. It happens through our willingness to allow God to continue to work in our hearts. It's not a once-and-done kind of thing. It's, it's a continual process needing renewal constantly. And this is how we get and keep our heart in line with God's heart. See, when our heart is lined up with God's heart, we're better equipped to use our hands, our actions, with love and kindness. We're better able to live out God's love in the lives of those around us. Just a, a few short verses later in Galatians, Paul says this. This is the next step. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That law being to be perfect. He says, take that heart. Take that newness of love and put it to work. Use your hands, your feet, your words, whatever. Get up and use it to help one another. 
Don't just sit on your TV, see something on the news and say, oh, that breaks my heart. Scrolling through Facebook, oh, thoughts and prayers. He says, don't do that and just call it love. But also, likewise, don't just act like you love people without feeling it on the inside. Faking it, hoping that people will see you loving people and therefore will think that you love people. He says, do both. And let's face it, we're we're not going to get this right all the time. Sometimes the hands just need to lead and the heart has to follow. Sometimes the heart leads and the hands follow. There's this old saying that says you can't act your way into better thinking. Or you can't think your way into better acting. But you can. You can act your way into better thinking. Sometimes the heart is stubborn. But if we just move, if we just open ourselves up to hearing what God is telling us, our heart just might follow. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God is preparing once again ahead of us. He's preparing good works for us to do. But the question is, will you recognize them? And then when you recognize them, will you actually take action? I have a good friend who uh, a year ago was moved to and placed in a particularly challenging ministry environment. It was far away, nestled in the country of Florida, very different from the city life that she and her family have been enjoying for the past 10 years. It was far from what they were used to. And this church was nestled inside of a very tight-knit community of people who were born there, raised there, and have every intention of dying there. The previous pastor had served this church for decades. And she was, in fact, their, their first female pastor. Suffice it to say that she has faced a fair amount of adversity over the past year. And naturally, I just keep checking in on her and trying to, my best to encourage and support her because she's like that person that has encouraged and supported me for all of my time in ministry. You know, every single time that I would ask her how things were going, regardless of whatever situation that she was in at the time, her response was always the same. She would say, I know this is going on, but I just keep praying that God will allow me to see them the way that he sees them. I just keep asking him to show me how to love them the way that he does. And you know, this is why I have people like her in my life. These words spoken out of desperation at times are the exact words that all Christians, you and I, all need to be crying out. God, let me love them the way that you love them. When we speak these words, we're come face to face with a truly humble 
yet amazing reality that God loves everyone. That God loves those that we hate. That God loves our enemies. That he loves people who are still so in love with their sin that they don't even know his name. He loves the people who have hurt us. He loves the people who have hurt those that we love. He loves the people who steal our cars and he loves our ex-spouses who didn't love us enough to stay. He loves the addicts who steal from us just to get another fix. And he loves them just like he loved you and just like he loved me before we ever knew his name. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And just like he knew us, he knows everyone. What, what would your life look like if you were earnestly praying for God to allow you to love people the way that he loves them? What relationships in your life might be repaired? What opportunities for ministry would you actually take up? How would you change your world? You see, bearing one another's burdens can be very practical. It can be just helping out our neighbors when they have physically worldly needs. But beyond that, we most certainly all as human beings share the same exact burden. That we all desperately need to know that God loves and cares for us. But sometimes, some of us just need someone to show us what God's love looks like. And it looks like what Jesus said in the beginning of our first scripture. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So let me ask you this. Do your heart and your hands say the same exact thing? What needs work in your Christian life? Are you constantly doing the right thing, but on the inside you're like, man, I don't want to be doing this at all. Be harboring feelings of anger, lustful thinking, or just general angst. But on the outside, everything's fine. I'm doing the, I'm doing the things, right? If so, that, if that's you, what is missing in your walk with Christ? Is it prayer? Is it fellowship? Are you, if, can you honestly say like, hey, yeah, I've been, I've been making an effort to be in fellowship with other Christians this week. Is it your Bible? Is, is it your Bible that's like buried underneath a bunch of stuff? You know, I don't even remember the last time you opened it. If that's you, I mean, I just challenge you to, to identify what, what is it and focus on that this week. Set aside 15, 30 minutes Pray, read scripture, take some time to pick up the phone that weighs a thousand pounds when you're in need, call someone, make plans for coffee, share a meal, or just chat. Or maybe your heart's in the right place, but you're like, I don't even remember the last time I helped somebody. What is it that stands in your way? Is it fear? Is that you're just too busy? 
It's got so much going on. Or is it that you feel that the people in your life who need help don't deserve it? If this is you, just make a commitment to do something every day this week, big or small, that bears the burdens of one of your brothers and sisters. See, fulfilling the law of Christ, being perfect, isn't meant to be impossible. Yet it also isn't meant to be comfortable and it isn't meant to be easy. But most of all, and most importantly, it isn't meant to be done by your own power. Do your desires and actions work in full accord? Are you whole? Are you perfect? Do you see and love people the way that God does? Because if God sees and loves everyone, then who the heck are we to argue with that? Let's pray. God, we love you. And as your people, we come before you and, and we need you. We need you. We know that you call us to love you with all our hearts and minds and that you call us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But Lord, help us to love our neighbors the way that you love them. Show us what that actually means. As we go into our lives this week, Lord, let your call to perfection stick with us, not in a way that is self-defeating, and not in a way that makes us feel better than anyone else, but in a way that connects us with who you are, that connects us with the desire to strive and be more like Jesus. God, it's only through your power that we can truly be whole that we can reach out and touch people with your love, which is very real. God, heal our brokenness so that we can be a part of your plan to heal the brokenness of everyone else in this world. We need you, and we love you. Amen.